cut a lot of jobs in the financial sector. That's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> Maybe a good thing. Barry, final word to you. What, what's the Fed's view on having a, a digital currency there? They're scrambling and they want to catch up. They don't want to be left behind. But uh, I, I agree with Stuart. This, is, this needs so much attention. And we'll see what happens to the cryptocurrencies. I know that's separate. But uh, what's been happening just in the last 24, 48 hours with uh, all of those arrests around the world getting into the crypto space. But uh, the Fed is, uh, knows it's behind the curve and wants to catch up. Okay. Thank you very much. You heard there, Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington. Peter Churchhouse, the founder of Portwood Capital and our regular Wednesday correspondent. Stuart Allcroft, chairman of City Trust. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, uh, things moving slightly better in Australia now. The ASX 200 is up a third of a percent. Over in Japan, those stocks have opened to the downside, off 0.4%. Uh, also similar story for the Cosby in South Korea. Uh, futures markets indicating a very small gain for the Hang Seng of about 0.1% at the open. In the, current, in, the, sorry, in the commodity markets, gold is at $1,895 an ounce. And Brent crude oil slipping slightly at 72 dollars 27 cents a barrel please do join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for money talk news is coming up in a moment followed by back chat with hugh chiverton and steve vines the weather forecast mainly cloudy occasional showers and a few thunderstorms the maximum temperature is going to be about 32 degrees and then the outlook is for occasional showers in the next couple of days it is 27 degrees right now 92 percent relative humidity and there is a thunderstorm warning in force 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The Hong Kong Chinese Civil Servants Association has welcomed a proposal to freeze the salaries of government staff for another year. This comes after a survey of private sector pay suggested a cut of up to 2%. The association's president, Li Kuai Yin, said a pay freeze was the best solution for the 170,000 civil servants in order to maintain morale. There is a pay rise that will arouse public negative reaction. On the other hand, if there is a pay cut, that will also arouse a strong negative reaction from the civil service team under the circumstances that the civil services fight against the pandemic for over a year. And we see that there's still some way to go for control the pandemic. We still need the civil service team to assist the government to restore the economic recovery. So that to strike a balance, we find that pay freeze is a smooth way out. The Executive Council will make a final decision after consulting the Civil Service Bureau and unions. The U.S. Senate has passed a sweeping bill aimed at countering a surging economic threat from China. It now heads to the House of Representatives. Supporters describe the bipartisan measure as the biggest investment in scientific research the country has seen in decades. It comes as America's share of semiconductor manufacturing globally has eroded from 37% in 1990 to about 12%, and a chip shortage has exposed vulnerabilities in the U.S. supply chain. It proposes $190 billion spending in U.S. technology and research, as well as 50 billion towards research and production of semiconductors and telecoms equipment.
The U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris and the Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador have announced plans to boost economic investment in the region as part of a major effort to reduce illegal migration. After talks in Mexico City, they said it was in the interests of both countries to address the root causes of migration. Ms. Harris said Washington planned to help economic development in southern Mexico and in Central America, but she acknowledged the problem couldn't be fixed overnight. We made clear that the United States considers Mexico to be a partner on many of these issues and as evidenced by the MOU that we signed today between the United States and Mexico to combine our resources targeted at Central America and in particular the countries of El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today, Steve Vine. Steve, good morning to you. Good morning to you. The latest on COVID-19 today and Hong Kong Airlines. The chief executive has said the government may start requiring inbound travellers to undergo coronavirus antibody tests at the airport. She also said she was concerned and disappointed after a student was tested positive on June the 5th. The case ended our 42-day streak of zero local infections. Experts are still looking for the source. Some say it was an imported case that went undetected during the quarantine period. And there's more discussion about extending vaccine coverage for teenagers. Will parents go for that? What are the risks and benefits? And we have an allergy specialist joining us this morning until nine o'clock this morning. If you have any COVID-related questions for him or for any of our guests, as ever, you can call us on 233-88266 or you can email backchat at rthk.hk with your questions and comments uh, or you can go to our Facebook page as well. Of course, that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 and comment there. And after 9.15, we're going to be talking about uh, Hong Kong Airlines, the airline set to announce another round of layoffs. What's the future for them and for the aviation uh, industry uh, in Hong Kong? Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Quick couple of uh, other issues before we get into uh, COVID today. Chris says uh, there's been much talk about reducing this is an email, uh, about uh, reducing waste and cutting back on single-use plastic. I was very disappointed at what I saw today. At our local Lama District Council office staff were handing out plastic drinks bottles. Each bottle was wrapped in a bubble wrap bag and they gave away hundreds of them. I asked why they were doing this and they were told the bottles had been supplied by some government department. Am I lost to understand the logic behind these scheme? Could this be stopped please? That's from Chris. Martin B says taxpayers who bitched about how district funds were spent when their district council was under control of DAB party are gobsmacked at the fiscal diligence Home Affairs is now exerting. When Starry Lee's assistants were arrested for bribing voters, her office was not raided and no investigation carried out into the extent of the bribery and where the cash came from, certainly not from their own pockets. Then there were all the freebies distributed to potential voters while worthy district causes were neglected. Many voters are very satisfied with the diligence and energy displayed by our current district councillors and we trust them to make good use of the funds they receive. Disparaging remarks by the CE only undermine the unfairness of the system and further erode the credibility of the administration, not the credibility of our current representatives. That's from Martin B. Backchat.rthk.hk is our email address. Joining us uh, this morning we have now Dr Philip Lee, who's a specialist in immunology and allergy and a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. From the School of Public Health at the University 
University of Hong Kong, uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, and Dr Alvin Chan, who's a paediatrician and co-chairman of the Advisory Committee of Communicable Diseases for the Hong Kong Medical Association. Once again, our email address is uh, bankchat.rthk.hk. Dr Lee, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Dr Lee, Philip Lee. Good morning. Yeah, hi, hi, hi. Many thanks. Yeah, hello. For, hello. Thanks for, for, for joining us. Um, I believe you've done a study about um, uh, allergy and allergic reaction uh, to uh, uh, to COVID uh, vaccines. What, what's the, what was involved and, and what have you found? So we only um, talked about our preliminary findings so far. Okay. So at the moment, the University of Hong Kong and also the Hospital Authority at the moment have what we call a vaccine allergy safety clinic, which we run three times a week to see patients who either cannot receive the vaccine because of um, pre-morbid or predisposing allergy conditions or have a suspected reaction after the first dose of vaccines. And we literally received more than thousands of referrals just for the suspected allergy cases. But we found that um, vaccine allergies are exceedingly rare. And so far, out of more than 100 cases, we've only found one true patient which we feel probably is not suitable for a certain type of COVID vaccine and need to switch to another. So we want to reassure the public that actually um, these allergy conditions or allergy reactions after COVID-19 um, vaccination is extremely rare and not to be over-concerned. And Dr. Lee, could you put this into context? Is there any significant difference between the reactions to this COVID injection and say injections for the the, the flu or, or, or other forms of inoculation? Yes, it's a very good question. So at the beginning, we're, even before the vaccine was rolled out, we're already anticipating there will be you know a very exceedingly rare cases of these so-called vaccine allergies. Unfortunately, I have to be honest, quite specifically to um, COVID-19 vaccines, the relative incidence or relative um, proportion of allergy reactions are slightly higher in COVID-19 vaccines, but we're still talking extremely rare, around five in a million cases, compared to usually what we usually quote about one in a million cases for other vaccines. So yes, the absolute answer is there is a slight increase in allergic reactions for the COVID-19 vaccines, especially the new um, mRNA vaccines. However, it is still exceedingly rare, and we really feel the public and uh, many doctors are still too scared or too anxious about the possibility of these vaccines. And we really want to wish to improve vaccine uptake and the public confidence in vaccination. Uh, I think some of it is kind of uh, people are uncertain. Uh, uh, I seem to remember when you when you you, you have to agree to a um, uh, you know a list of of uh, conditions when when you take the vaccine, uh, and you have to sort of you're alerted to. Uh, to any allergic possible history of allergic reaction to the contents, but then you know the contents are pretty obscure. You don't really know what the what that what that means with a list of contents, and you don't even know if you if you if you you know can't be certain if you've had an allergy if you have an allergy um, to those things. Do you understand that that uh, it's just the uncertainty which is uh, uh, on people's minds, perhaps? Yes, I believe that's the, that's the main problem and a concern. So at least in the very beginning, we were still very um, wishy-washy about, oh, you know, people with, quote-unquote, allergic predispositions should be cautious about vaccination. But since then, the Hong Kong Institute of Allergy, and also which have been um, taken up by the Department of Health, we've been quite specific about which patients should not receive 
receive um, a dose of COVID-19 vaccines. And that was narrowed down to three very, very specific and well-defined groups. So this includes one, if you receive the first dose of COVID-19 vaccine and you have a doctor saying that this expects an allergic reaction, you shouldn't take the second dose until evaluation. The second is if you have a history of anaphylaxis, that's a very severe, acute, life-threatening um, allergic reaction. And third is if you had a severe and immediate type um, sort of allergic reaction to multiple classes of drugs or foods. So in fact, uh, most patients probably have never had, um, for example, a history of anaphylaxis. They probably only had a very mild skin rash or maybe just a very mild itch. And patients, even if severe, they've only ever had problems with one drug or food. And therefore, these do not warrant um, need um, to defer vaccination. And we really wish these, um, these individuals can proceed with vaccination. Do they still need an allergist or immunologist review? I think yes, but definitely no need to wait for the vaccines um, before seeing them. So, Benjamin Cowling, I wonder if I could just um, switch to you. We've heard from uh, Dr. Lee very clearly that there is really no big concern over reactions to these vaccines. Yet, in Hong Kong, the level of vaccination remains very low indeed. It's about half of that in Singapore, for example. Where do you think we are with this? I mean, the government is still looking for a zero infection um, situation in Hong Kong, which the rest of the world seems to be saying is impossible. Uh, in the short term, zero COVID is the best strategy. Uh, if we can stay at zero for a while longer, it's much better than if we're not at zero. But at the same time, in a year, two years, three years' time, I don't think we're still going to be the, the haven of zero COVID when the rest of the world has returned to normal and accepted a low level of COVID circulation uh, with, with the majority of people being vaccinated uh, so that they are protected against the, the worst forms of the disease. In the short term in Hong Kong, my, my biggest concern is actually in the elderly, because if we were to have more infections in the community, the coverage in elderly is so low right now, it's really a, a big issue. Um, and then I, I released some data yesterday on social media that we have an uptake uh, anticipated of 55%. That's uh, not not really high enough if we'd like to to be reassured that it's safe to go back to normal. Sorry, that's so an uptake among whom? A, a predicted uptake in the whole population I see. of 55% where, where? By, some, by September, maybe. By September, okay. Mm. I mean, that, that seems to be at variance with this quite recent poll from the Chinese University which shows that um, the reluctance still remains very high. Maybe your 55% is, is a rather optimistic figure. Yes, that's right. So, and also when we do our interviews, which we've been doing every week for, for a year now, uh, of course we're asking people about their intentions and what people say may, may not pan out to what they do. And specifically if, if there's a change in the circumstances, uh, if there's more incentives for vaccination, then, then I'm sure the coverage would increase. And if there's maybe no change or some negative news, something else, then the, it can come down. But uh, at the moment, my prediction from my data is that we're headed for 55% coverage in September. And that's, that's not ideal. Uh, Dr. Chan, Alvin Chan, good morning to you. Good morning. Many thanks for, for, for joining us once again. I mean, you, you're also a paediatrician. There's a lot of discussion, you know, about uh, extending the, the vaccination to, uh, to teenagers, those over 12. Um, yes. Of course, that, that brings in another matter, doesn't it? Because I think a lot of parents 
you know you could say well i'll take the risk for myself uh even if it if even if it's small but when it comes to uh your children um particularly given that the risk to children uh of of you know of them becoming sick from covid seems so low that seems like a different calculation what would you say to parents you know who are considering whether or not to to uh, allow their children to be vaccinated yes i would say that um the third phase trials of uh, these uh, vaccines, um, BioNTech, had been showing very good statistics that the vaccine is 100% effective and they were shown to be safe as well. No difference from the effects in adults, but it's protective. Now, I would like the parents to understand this is science. That is, uh, we hope that the parents could make the decisions uh, with a basis, with um, considering the scientific evidence. Now, in in all the immunization programs that the children have uh, uh, undertake since they are born, the parents they also trust the medical science and believe in the fact that the vaccines would protect their children. And so, without knowing all the details, they bring their babies to the vaccination centers, the maternity child home, or the pediatricians to receive the uh, vaccinations. So I think if they still uh, get this attitude, they trust science and the doctors that they could bring, why not bring their adolescents to have this vaccination? And I think uh, this is key to the uptake rate of these adolescents because they would require the consent of their parents uh, because they are dependent on the decisions of the parents. So I would really call for the understanding, medical understanding with scientific evidence that they should bring their children to protect them. Because now this uh, recent case of the 17-year-old girl got the um, uh, alpha um, strain, that is the UK strain of B.1.1.7. Uh, it is uh, an ominous sign for us that if we don't protect our children, these children could also get infected. And from our um, uh, papers internationally, we had found that even children could get severe uh, we call it MISC, that is multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And they could also get mortality or uh, 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 long-term effects after infection. So I think um, it is not really nothing if they, these children got infected. So as parents, we should be sensible and based on scientific evidence, we could bring the we should bring the children to have a fascination too. So well, uh, that's what I would advise for parents. Well, Dr. Chan, I mean, you, you, you strongly stress the need to look at the scientific evidence. But yes. is that not being undermined by the government who have a scheme for um, giving special exemptions to high-level businessmen who, as far as I know, according to the science, aren't any more likely or less likely to be infected by the virus? Isn't it undermined by the government ignoring the scientific evidence when it comes to yeah, I, quarantine? You know, I'm um, saying that I people... I really agree with you. 
I, I agree with you. I really uh, would urge the government to really stop this policy of exempting the uh, so-called high-culture uh, financial people to cross the border without quarantine or without testing. That is the big loophole. And yesterday, in fact, from the South China Morning Post, uh, two days ago from their report, they, they, they have reported that the health authority in Hong Kong said that the strains or the genome of the uh, uh, alpha virus in that uh, uh, family, three members of the family, were different from the genome of the um, uh, circulating virus in Shenzhen. But then no specific person were named, so-called health authority in Hong Kong. I don't know who it is. And then how different is not mentioned. Why different? Is it really different? I think the Hong Kong people should have the right to know, and the government should be transparent about this. <laughs> and if there is a possibility that uh, the virus could really cross the border from Shenzhen with the cluster of, um, you know, UK strains or the alpha strains in Shenzhen, I think this is really a loophole that we should plug. Okay. D Dr. Lee, if we could go back to you for a second. I wanted to ask about, about uh, G6PD deficiency, which is, um, you know, fairly common in Hong Kong, isn't it? I think it's about 5% of people um, have it. Uh, um, the advice I see from the, from the government uh, when it comes to vaccination is that, that basically they don't know. Uh, this says uh, there are limited safety and efficacy data on the use of vaccines in individuals suffering from G6PD deficiency. Um, uh, from information provided by the gov drug companies, G6PD is not mentioned among the list of contraindications. Um, so um, seek a medical advice. Um, is this an area you're familiar with, and what, w what would your advice be in this? Uh, you know, for for uh, G6PD uh, yes, patients. saying they all have um, no G6PD deficiency and afraid of vaccination. So I'm afraid that sort of blanket statement of this insufficient data does really um, extend to many, many conditions. G6PD deficiency per se is not an immunology or allergy sort of condition, okay. although many patients do have concerns all because it's an allergy. I would say if, I, if we're sensible about it, there is no real medical or clinical reason that G6PD deficiency patients would have any risk of vaccination. And it goes for the same for many other immunizations and vaccinations. And personally, I would feel quite comfortable asking the patients to proceed with um, vaccinations with G6PD deficiency. Okay, thanks um, very much. Well, sorry, oh, sorry, I was just going to ask Professor Cowling, just, just to return to this question of following the science, because I've heard you speak about this before. You have been saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the science tells us that somebody who has previously had the virus or has been vaccinated against it should not be quarantined. There is no need to quarantine them. And maybe the fact that we are still quarantining those people is acting as another deterrent to people bothering to get the vaccine in the first place. That, that's right. So if we can think of ways to encourage people to get vaccinated, I think we should, we should look at all of the, the different possibilities and relaxing quarantine for, for vaccinated people or people who've recovered is one way. We have to be clear that it's not zero risk. So I'm not saying that someone who's previously been infected or someone who's been vaccinated has zero chance of ever being infected again. We're clear that that's not the case. Actually, there can be people uh, infected again. In fact, the first case of reinfection 
was reported in Hong Kong in someone who had COVID twice. Uh, and people who get vaccinated on occasion could get infected again. But the risk is much, much lower. And in the longer term, we recognize that we're not going to be a haven for zero COVID. I don't think Hong Kong's going to be a, a haven of zero COVID in the long term. So if our long term strategy is that we're going back to normal life, normal behaviors, and we're going to take our chances with the virus, for people who've been vaccinated, I think it's quite fair to say they can take their chances now and they don't need to do the quarantine anymore. They're a much, much lower risk of, they have a much, much lower risk of infection and actually quarantining them is, is probably unjustified because quarantine is just one of a number of tools that we have available to control COVID in Hong Kong. Okay, one thing we want to talk about was the, with the antibody checks uh, and uh, uh, Nick has emailed us saying, uh, Professor Cowling made the excellent suggestion to allow those with antibodies to avoid quarantine. He also mentioned the tests are perhaps not so simple and the process would need to be ramped up. However, I think I recall in an earlier programme a mention of a quick and simple antibody test. Would Professor Cowling please explain more about antibody testing to clarify how it's carried out and what can be done to make it simpler? Uh, that's from uh, Nick. While you're there, Professor Cowling, uh, <laughs> explaining how how it's done. Explain, explain what, what you do with the results. Um, if, you, if you find people, say, at the airport, uh, if, they're, if they have got antibodies or they haven't got antibodies, then what would be the appropriate response? And, and you know, what's the whole thing all about? Got it. Take so it away. When, when we have an infection or when we have vaccination, uh, our body mounts an immune response to that infection. And one of the parts of the immune system which is going to help us to be protected against infection in the future is antibodies. Now, there's a, a number of different ways to measure antibodies, and I would say it's not totally standardized yet because COVID is such a new infection. But one of the groups of, of methodologies is where we'll take a, a blood sample, so put a needle in, draw some blood from a vein uh, into a tube, take it to the laboratory and test it uh, with a particular kind of machine, particular kind of test procedure, and get an estimate of how many antibodies are in that blood sample. So it might come back negative, with no detectable antibodies, it might come back with a low, medium, or high level of antibodies. And typically, people who've received vaccination will have at least some antibodies. If they've received the mRNA vaccine, typically they're off the charts on the antibodies. So, so that's a way to measure how many antibodies somebody's got at that point in time. A second group of methodologies, referred to by, by uh, your correspondent, by, by Nick, I think, is the rapid test. So in this kind of technology, you'll have, it's, it's like a pregnancy test, actually, but with a, a finger prick of blood. So if you've seen diabetics have to test their blood glucose, sometimes they'll, they'll prick their finger, use a drop of blood onto uh, the, the machine or the kit, uh, and it will give them a result. So the same way for antibodies, you can have a rapid test that, that does the same job with a finger prick, a drop of blood onto the device, and then 50 minutes later, it gives you a reading of yes or no, do you have antibodies? So typically, the rapid test, are not as accurate, but not too bad. So I think the numbers I've seen are something like 80% accuracy compared to the, the full thing that's done in the laboratory. So actually what, what I can imagine being done is in the first instance, we'll use the proper laboratory equipment and get it all running smoothly. But actually at some point in the future, I can imagine switching over to the, to the rapid test. And I'll give you a specific example. For people who've received the BioNTech vaccine or the Moderna vaccine, the antibodies are typically off the chart. So whatever you use, it will be positive. If you use the rapid test, it's going to come back positive because there's so much antibodies in the blood. And what that means in practice is if we're using the antibody test really more as a verification that someone actually has been vaccinated, if they've come from the U 
we may not be 100% sure that the, that the vaccine record is accurate, is truth, is the truth, then we can use the rapid test to just confirm it because if, they, if they've received a, a BioNTech or Moderna vaccine, the antibodies should, should be off the chart. So I can see the rapid test being used in the future, but maybe not right now. Presumably that, that, sorry, sorry. presumably that doesn't apply to Sinovac. I mean, you're saying... Uh, Sinovac is, is... Some people do have a lot of antibodies. Other people don't have so much. So there, there's more of a mix. Um, and that, that corresponds to the lower effectiveness that we're aware of of the Sinovac vaccine. The, the clinical trials report 50%, maybe 60% in some trials, as opposed to 95% for, for BioNTech and Moderna. And that's reflected in the, the difference in antibody levels. So practically speaking... What I'd imagine happening is when people come in on arrival, um, they've planned out their, maybe the, the two plans, their plan if they need to go into quarantine and their plan if they, if they don't because they, they pass the antibody test. And then once they come in, we'll have the blood draw in the same place that's doing the, the swabs for the PCR testing for the virus right now, wait in the waiting area, and when the result comes back, they go either through door A or door B. Um, I don't know how it will be. be, be so, uh, sorry. So, and, and, and then, and then, if they have got, if they test positive for the antibodies, then they would not have to go undergo such uh, stringent vaccine uh, uh, re, uh, um, quarantine requirements. Is that, right? that, that, that would be my suggestion exactly. So there'd be a two doors. Door A, you go to the hotel quarantine facilities, and, and door B, you, you you do something else, maybe with the wristband, or maybe maybe just <laughs> released because it's, it's really a minimal risk at that point. But I don't know how we'd, we'd arrange it with the hotels because you, you have to book in advance, and and if that means a lot of people are not actually using the hotel rooms. So mm. There's some logistics to figure out, but it can be done for sure. Okay. Well, well we're going to break now for the for the news at uh, nine o'clock and say goodbye. Thank you very much indeed to uh, uh, Dr. Philip Lee, a specialist in immunology and allergy and uh, clinical assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Dr. Chan and uh, Professor Cowling, uh, and we're also going to be talking later about Hong Kong Airlines. Um, of course, you can, as ever, email backchat at rthk.hk. Got some, a few interesting emails on a different subject, actually, about Toby the uh, policeman, who used to be a regular correspondent. Stand by for that. The weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms today. And there's a thunderstorm warning in effect at the moment. Temperatures up to 32 degrees. And the outlook, occasional showers forecast in the next couple of days. The latest readings now at the observatory, 27 Celsius. And the relative humidity is at 93%. Paramount that justice is delivered and that it's acknowledged that genocide did take place in Srebrenica and the rest of the country. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Steve Vines and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID. And uh, later we're going to be talking about uh, the prospects for Hong Kong Airlines. As ever, we want to hear from you. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, or you can uh, go to our Facebook page, that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233-88266. We'll put you on air. We've got some medical questions uh, in a moment. Uh, let's just go to this uh, email first, maybe from uh, Steve, uh, who says, uh, 
uh, with the subject line, Your Mercenary Toby. A long time, we haven't heard comments from Your Mercenary Toby, a.k.a. Hong Kong police officer, always, this was a previous correspondent, always stepping up to defend his masters. He's probably too busy doing Hong Kong police propaganda YouTube videos with Ian Carrison, a Hong Kong police inspector also serving as a China Daily propagandist. Or maybe he's busy having massages around police HQ. Ha, 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 who knows? As the saying goes, filth, failed in London, try Hong Kong. And uh, he attaches some uh, articles uh, from the China Daily uh, written by uh, Ian Carrison, who's a serving uh, policeman. Uh, and uh, uh, the, uh, Steve says, and by the way, he doesn't seem a fan of RTHK, seeing his earlier public uh, posts. Um, he, Steve says, uh, quite sad to witness their transformation. Uh, don't know these cops personally, but used to see them at some rugby events and on duty at the Seven since the 1990s. I think they were also, I think they were doing some rugby charity matches. Friendly guys. Sad to see they've turned into propagandists of authoritarianism. And don't tell me they just do their job. I'm pretty sure Carrison wrote the China Daily piece of his own will out of opportunism to please his master. Disgusting. That's from Steve. Agree or disagree? Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, joining us now, we have uh, Professor uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health. And once again, uh, Dr Alvin Chan, a paediatrician, co-chairman of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical uh, Association. Um, let's see. Um, first of all, a uh, comment from Alison, who says, Dear Backchat, can you ask your guests if they know when the government will open the booking to 12 to 15 year olds i would like to get my kids signed up as soon as possible count my family in for helping to get hong kong vaccination rate up that is uh, from uh, alison dr chan do you know when that will open well i don't know but uh i, I think for the international schools the children perhaps uh, have finished their examinations or testing and get prepared for the summer vacation already and so I think for these children, they could really start the vaccination program and then um, in the school or going to the vaccination center. But going to the school, there's a difficulty of the, uh, you know, the storage and the transportation in negative 70 degrees Celsius and also getting the personnel to the test vaccination team to go to the schools. Uh, so I guess they might uh, uh, first... Uh, uh, ask the parents to go to the vaccination centres to have the vaccinations with their adolescent children together. And uh, for the Chinese local schools, I guess they are still having the exam examinations until the end of June. So I think any vaccinations would be uh, after the vaccination, uh, after the examinations. So I think the government is still preparing for the implementation. Uh, the logistics are not simple, okay. uh, especially I think they have to convince the parents really to bring the children, the adolescents, to the vaccination centers, to the doctor's office, or to ask the principals to allow vaccination teams to go to the schools for mass vaccination. For, because it's talking about BioNTech, it's not Sinovac, you know. So uh, Sinovac is easier, but then for BioNTech, you must have the transportation 
in negative 70 degrees and the complicated process of dilution of the uh, vaccine, you know. And uh, so I, we still have to wait for the government for details in implementation of this vaccine, mass vaccination campaign in adolescence. Okay. Uh, uh, a specific question from Eve, who says, can Dr. Chan explain cytokine storm? Uh, Eve says uh, the potential side effects are all inflammatory conditions. I've noticed yeah. old inflammations resurfacing sporadically after taking the BioNTech. There is chatter on cytokine storm, but insufficient data. Can the doctor explain this for viewers? Thanks. Listeners, I think. Yes, yeah. uh, for the cytokine storm, that is the hyperreactive, hyperinflammatory process that has occurred inside our body after some viral infection or the vaccine um, intake. Now, so it's not specific to the vaccination. So it occurs after any pathogen going into our body, like the viruses. So it is uh, the virus that had entered our body that had uh, triggered the defense from our immune system. Normally, then well, our body would have antibodies produced, our so-called killer lymphocytes, targeting the viruses, okay? But then these are called the interleukin or other inflammatory um, agents inside our body to target the intruders, that is the virus. But then when there is a cytokine storm, that means there is a hyperreaction in our body that had extrapolated to our own cells, our own systems, our organs in the body. So it's no longer an infection through the respiratory system. It is an hyperinflammatory response to all our system, all our organs. That's why it's called a hyperimmune multi-system uh, reaction or uh, uh, the side effects will become uh, multi-system. Like, say, there will be uh, antibodies attacking our own platelets. Then the body will all of a sudden will have depletion of our platelets and there will be bleeding disorder and there will be stroke, hemorrhagic uh, stroke in the brain, etc. Or that could be the target into the, um, uh, again, our body, so that there could be hyperinflammatory clotting uh, due to the aggregation of platelets or increased platelets in our body. And then, uh, then uh, just the opposite thing will occur. Then there will be blood clots in the blood vessels, in the heart, or in the lungs, or in the brain. So that will be catastrophic, of course. So these are the examples that uh, the cytokine storm could be dangerous. But it's not specific to the vaccine. It could be due to the viral infection. So for the mRNA vaccine, so it seems that uh, some scientists were worried that there could be this cytokine storm inside our body after the um, super uh, uh, reaction in the immunological system. Sure. But I think it's not really uh, that uh, 
scientifically uh, proven that uh, we we should worry about this okay. uh, as the infection. All right, we, we, we worry about it as the COVID nineteen infection. Okay, right. We, we we've got a lot of emails. <clears throat> um, Jay. Uh, says the financial people coming in and out of Hong Kong are the weak link to the rest of Hong Kong. Why should they get a benefit of no quarantine hotels? They have money. Normally, most of us have a standard injection, but this time it's been put into the world uh, too fast. The thing most of us parents worry about now is with no school, the kids have got fat. Many of the Hong Kong kids will get diabetes because the way life has gone. Um, that's uh, from uh, Jay. Um, uh, Matthew says, after a brief pit stop today, back in the back chat, safe space of COVID, following a very daring venture yesterday into the obscurity of UFOs, is there any chance a back chat will discuss the cancellation of RTHK's letter to Hong Kong and the DAB bribery convictions tomorrow or Friday? If not, why not? I've asked this in the form of a direct question close to 10 times in the last week or two, and so far it's been either not read out or read out and not addressed. Could you please provide a direct answer this morning? Okay, Matthew, well, the reason we, we don't really talk about about RTHK is because we're just in a in a very difficult position because whoever we get on, uh, we are sub, we are liable to criticism. We, we do it occasionally, but sparingly. I've got to say, uh, because we are RTHK, and if we talk about RTHK, we're always subject to uh, accusations of a conflict of uh, interest. But we will read out, and I have frequently read out your comments, Matthew, on this. Your frequently, uh, your ten times you said in the past week or so, um, the DAB bribery uh, convictions. Uh, I, I don't think, to be honest, on their own, that they are uh, uh, substance for a, for a whole discussion. Uh, I'm not sure there are, there are different views. It's not really exactly a contentious issue. Um, but it's certainly, it's certainly a case that you would perhaps uh, bring up uh, in relation to a broader topic. Um, so I think that's the way we see things like that, that DAB uh, bribery case. I think it would, you could in, include it in, in some other discussion. So that's how things stand at the moment. Obviously, when it comes to COVID, Matthew, people are extremely interested, uh, as witness the enormous amount of emails that we get. Um, like this uh, from uh, MT, who says, zero infections for a connected world city is utterly ridiculous. The UK, which has a very high vaccination percentage and shown that there will still be infection, but with two doses, the hospitalisation rate is significantly lower. Uh, JS says, to encourage people to come forward for vaccinations, the government should remove all quarantine requirements for those who are fully vaccinated and impose inconvenient restrictions on those that will not volunteer for vaccination. Restrictions might include being barred from international travel and being banned from shopping malls and places of entertainment. Such a policy should include punitive fines for non-compliance. Financial services regulators should impose a legal requirement for vaccination or regular testing for companies with customer-facing staff. Carrots and sticks usually work well. That is from uh, JS. Uh, James has sent a story from the Straits Times about uh, provisional approval being given in Singapore for a COVID-19 breathalyzer test. So it's a breath test, basically, for uh, COVID-19, which is an interesting uh, development. Kenneth, in an email, says, uh, My wife and I arrived from the UK six days before the 4th of June. We've been fully vaccinated since the end of April. Yet we are subject to 21 days quarantine against 14 days for a fully vaccinated person arriving from the 4th of June. The difference seems arbitrary. Uh, we have th we've had three negative COVID tests since arriving back in Hong Kong and another schedule for today. Having listened to Professor Cowling, if we had an antibody test and it showed sufficient antibodies, would that be sufficient reason medically for our 21 days to be reduced to no more than 14 days? That comes from uh, Kenneth. Uh, Professor Cowling, would that make sense? Well, you're making 
complete sense, but that's not the policy mm. right now. I think it should be the policy going forwards, because if you've got a positive result on an antibody test, then you're extremely unlikely to, to be infected, to be able to be infected. And at the same time, actually, if you had COVID and you had a positive antibody result, you'd be in hospital and you'd be eligible for discharge, because in the hospital authority, what's happening at the moment when people have the, the infection, they're isolated, once their antibody test turns positive, they're actually eligible for discharge because they're thought to no longer be contagious. So we're actually being more strict to people who have antibodies without the virus than we are for people who have antibodies with the virus. And I wonder, Professor Cowling, if we could ask you to look much more broadly. There's an interesting article in the current uh, edition of Foreign Affairs by six uh, well-known specialists who are basically saying, forget worrying about the possibility of global herd immunity, it's not going to happen, and they warn of the near in, in, inevitability of the development of a new dangerous variant of this virus. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, firstly, for herd immunity, I, I don't agree with, with uh, their claim because for many, many acute infections, herd immunity will develop uh, sooner or later. It may develop just through infections, and that may have been happening in India recently. It may occur just with vaccinations, and that's what's happened in Israel recently. It may also occur in places that are vaccinated and still have some infections afterwards on top of the vaccinations, and that's been happening in the Seychelles recently. So herd immunity will happen. Uh, it may not persist. We, we may have a situation where herd immunity comes and goes because of changes in the virus and changes in, in people's immunity over time. In terms of the uh, the evolution of the virus into a more dangerous uh, version. Who knows? I, I don't think we can predict what's going to happen with the virus. I'm not surprised that we've seen the alpha, beta, gamma, delta variants so far. We know that viruses have their ways of changing over time, um, uh, sometimes becoming a little bit better, other times not. Uh, in the future, it's possible that with more and more people getting vaccinated, more and more people having immunity from infection, there'll be more selection pressure on the virus and it will change again but I, I don't think we, we can anticipate that it's going to get much worse it may not um hopefully it won't okay um tc says a question to dr cowling uh do you think this phd i should explain do you think there's an issue especially an ethical one with developed countries like canada to donate uh astrazeneca vaccines to countries like india given that canada stopped giving out the first shot of astrazeneca because of blood clots uh, we have to look at the risk and benefits of vaccines. And for India right now, I think the benefits of vaccination with AstraZeneca or with other COVID vaccines substantially exceed the risks, any risk associated with vaccination. And I think that that would totally justify using AstraZeneca in India right now or any other COVID vaccine that they can, that they can get their hands on. Uh, for Canada, actually, I think given their, their relatively higher levels of incidence recently, most likely that they, sh they should also be looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine. But they've done very well in the past month. Their vaccination coverage has actually shot up in the past uh, month or two. So um, if they've got spare vaccines, I, I, I think it's great that they're, that they're sending them to India. 
Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, on Facebook, Kim says, when one takes an antibody test, how long are these tests accurate for? Couldn't people get the same antibody test before flying and present it on arrival? Anton says, the, this government isn't capable of understanding science. Many people can't get vaccinated in Hong Kong due to their policies of insisting on Hong Kong ID as a requirement for vaccination, for example. This is not the time to be head in the sand. Every person vaccinated living in Hong Kong is one person closer to herd immunity. It doesn't matter what their visa status is for crying out loud. Nigel says, do we have any figures by country for positive cases appearing in the compulsory quarantine after arrival, enabling us to evaluate the need for 14 days confinement in all cases? Is 14 days appropriate for double-dose vaccinated people? Uh, Victoria Ann says, uh, vaccinated citizens are now so desperate to travel to see families and have some normality. Do the antibody tests then. A vaccinated with a proper level of antibody should not need to be quarantined or best at home under that under observation. What is the Hong Kong government waiting for? Refer to the article yesterday on the FT concerning Hong Kong and uh, COVID and has a, a link to that to story in the, in the Financial Times. Uh, Steve says in an email, the 17-year-old teenager visited Fotan Immigration Department on May the 11th. The government is hiding something. How do they define no uh, tra recent travel history? Uh, why did she go to immigration officer? This is not... I don't know if this is correct, by the way. This is, this is what Steve is saying. Uh, why did she go to the immigration office? Possibilities. One, she came from the mainland recently and renewed her permit. Two, she lost her ID, quite unlikely. Uh, and she can only change her ID once reaching 18. I don't think she reached 18. According to that, Tinshu, why a population many mainland immigrant migrants? The government hides something. That is a view from uh, Steve. Uh, Nick says, uh, who uh, um, uh, emailed earlier, I'm probably waiting, I haven't got time for the follow-up now, but uh, Nick raises two other points. He says the follow-ups to overcome the hotel logistics problem, could the antibody check be done before travelling? And a second clarification, please, are the errors from the simple check showing false antibodies or not picking up those that are present? If the latter, could the simple test be done first, then the more complicated one only needed as a follow-up before confirming the need for quarantine. That comes from Nick. Uh, Cowling, is that would that be feasible? Yeah, the, the first point about the, doing the test before departure, that's fine, but we'd have to have a way to verify the, the laboratory results. Uh, so for the PCR testing, remember, we have a test uh, before departure, but then still when the people arrive, they're still tested again in Hong Kong. Um, for the antibody test, uh, sure, in, in theory, we could, we could do it before departure. The second question about the accuracy, it goes both ways. So sometimes the, the rapid test can show positive when the person doesn't have antibodies, and so they're not actually immune. And then it can also be the other way around, that, that if someone's got particularly a low level of antibodies, maybe the test sometimes doesn't pick it up. So it, it's, 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 uh, it's not as ideal as the proper laboratory test with a proper blood draw with a proper machine and so on but um i can see us switching over to that in the future after gaining some confidence with the uh, with uh, the the gold standard first okay Okay, uh, this is from uh, Jay, I think, uh, who says there are more than 10,000 people living in Hong Kong legally on prolonged visas since Hong Kong does not recognize common law marriages. There are 13,000 refugee asylum claimants. There are 40,000 two-way permit holders staying here. None has been able to get vaccinated. The government is brain dead. They moan about levels of vaccination, then lock people up who are fully vaccinated into quarantine so people ask why bother. Then foot in mouth six. Eight, nine boasted he'd crossed the border 
36 times to the mainland, 36 times in the past six months, visiting without quarantine or vaccination here, as none was available until late February. That's a reference to the former chief executive. Uh, B says, morning back chat, I had both my shots. First shot, I was fine. Second shot, I had the works. A severe migraine, blurred vision in one eye for five days, vomiting, diarrhea, the chills, weakness. Luckily, I'm feeling fine now, but I would advise anyone who's slightly hesitant to check with your GP. As for the fellow listener asking why Letter Hong Kong has been cancelled, does he really need to ask why? Is he living in a bubble? I'm glad back chat hasn't been cancelled yet. And yes, I'm very interested in all things COVID. That is from uh, B. Um, uh, Alison says, thanks for your, to your guests for trying to clarify the 12 to 15 vaccination start date. I think it's important to say that kids can easily go to the community centres to get the vaccine as soon as possible. Let's get it started. There is no need to wait. Um, uh, Alok says, uh, we, have only, we have till now only seen the carrots being offered as incentive for vaccination. It's high time the Hong Kong government now gets the sticks into action. In fact, for every incentive announced, there should be a penalty also imposed simultaneously. As I say, is from uh, Alok. Uh, Jay says, I would like to know if my friends have the vaccine. I'm having dinner with them and they are breathing the antibodies in my face. Am I likely to become resistant? Uh, that is uh, from uh, Jay. Uh, have dinner with different people would be my suggestion. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr Chan, you, yes? you don't get uh, immunity by somebody who's been vaccinated breathing on you, do you? Do you? No, no. Uh, of course not. We need to get vaccinated. Uh, our personal vaccination, not just from a breath from uh, our guests are facing us. And uh, in fact, that could uh, still bring us uh, danger because the vaccination is not 100% proof. The vaccination could protect us from severe disease, that is for sure. But they could not protect us from getting infected with asymptomatic infection. So even somebody is vaccinated, he could still get infected. It's not zero chance. So, uh, but if somebody got infected asymptomatic and spread the virus to us, it doesn't mean that we will have the asymptomatic infection. We can get symptomatic infection after being infected by uh, an asymptomatic uh, carrier. So uh, we still get to uh, have the vaccination as soon as possible to protect ourselves, I think. I, w I wonder also if we could pick up on, on a theme in some of the um, listeners' responses, which, which refers to people coming into Hong Kong and whether there is evidence of, um, so to say, you know, a, a correct assessment of the threat that they pose. We have people coming from all over the world. There are various levels of quarantine for different countries. I mean, is this really working? Dr. Chan? Yes, sorry, I, I missed your uh, question. Can you repeat it again? Well, I, Thank you. In, in summary, the, the question is, is the system of quarantine for people coming into Hong Kong really working? Is it, is it overblown? Do we have evidence that, that the different levels of quarantine for people from different countries is appropriate? Well, um, I think from those countries with high risk, uh, we must uh, be careful and stringent, and uh, especially, uh, say, from those places with uh, dangerous variants, like the, uh, especially the Delta one, uh, I mean, the India uh, with 
the dangerous mutant variants. And now, even in Vietnam, uh, the government had not yet uh, claimed that uh, any uh, danger of uh, people from uh, Vietnam. But the variant now mutated in in in, in Vietnam is, is seem to be uh, uh, alarming. So we need to take care about this different uh, risk in different countries. But even in um, coming in with um, say the proof of their vaccination or testing negative. Sometimes I'm not sure whether that could really prove that uh, that would be uh, false negative or fake, uh, you know, reports. So sometimes... I really? I mean, are, are, there, are there instances where they've been disproven? I mean... I don't know, because I'm not in the government. Mm. So if there were uh, some fake reports or fake uh, certificates that they had positive or negative test, or sometimes, he say, just now, Professor Cunning has said that even the antibody test could have both negative or false positive, especially for the rapid test, they could be only 80% accuracy. So we need to be careful, too. But I'm all for the uh, uh, measures to uh, decrease the length of quarantine for those people with evidence of their vaccination. But we still have to be stringent. That is, they could have waistband. They don't need to have the quarantine as long. But then they still need to have the testing that they were really negative. Okay. Well, one more, one more question, perhaps for Professor Cowling. Uh, is from E, uh, who says on antibody testing on arrival. The way Dr. Cowling. Uh, uh, Professor Cowling uh, just explained the purpose of antibody testing makes sense. However, government seems to be discussing this as another way to screen for potentially infected returnees at the airport in addition to PCR testing. Does it make sense that someone who on arrival tests negative for the virus and positive for antibodies should be treated as a potential asymptomatic carrier? That comes from E. Is someone in that situation a potential asymptomatic carrier? No, so if they have antibodies uh, against the, the virus then whether or not they have the virus, they should not be contagious. So if they're testing negative for the virus, that's fine. If they were testing positive for the virus, they might go to hospital just for a day and then be discharged. So that's not a concern. Okay. Uh, Alok uh, is back saying further to my earlier email uh, about uh, uh, penalties. Uh, for people who are, don't take vaccination. Further to below, understand both IgG and the IgM test can show antibodies after a person gets vaccinated. How does one differentiate it if a person has developed antibodies by vaccination or by an infection? Uh, that comes from Alec. Uh, can you distinguish and does it matter? Professor Cowling. Yeah, there's some technical ways to distinguish. So, for example, with the mRNA vaccine, you'd only have antibodies against the spike protein of the virus, not against some of the other parts of the virus um, but in practical terms it doesn't really matter in either case whether you've got antibodies from infection or vaccination you should have a good level of immunity uh, against uh, an infection in the future of course not necessarily 100 percent but a good level of protection so it, it doesn't matter the origin of the antibodies okay well many many thanks for your for your help for uh, uh, cowling thanks for staying on to you and to uh, dr chan uh, Professor cowling there head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the school of public health at the university of hong kong and dr arvin chan thank you very much again in, indeed once again uh, dr chan a pediatrician and co-chair of the advisory committee of communicable diseases for the hong kong medical association so we won't be able to able to bring you the uh, hong kong airline story uh, matthew uh, says uh, follow-up uh, 
thanks for finally providing a kind of direct answer, but after hearing, it's easy to see why you had avoided it up until now. Your own RTHK news department has no issue talking about RTHK. It seems quite clear that Backchat has decided to take a much more conservative and self-preserving approach to topic selection than RTHK itself. And that's my point. Despite the condescending scoffs, which this point was met with each time I make it, I guess the listeners and even the hosts also know it well. This is underlined by the incredible point by the host. That's the assistant of the leader of the city's largest political party being convicted of systematically bribing voters in a by-election is not worthy of discussion, especially after choosing to dedicate 45 minutes to wackos talking about UFOs yesterday. But let's all Pretend everything is okay and it's business as usual on Backchat. Scoff, scoff. That's from Matthew. And uh, JS says, the comments you just read out from Steve about two serving expatriate police officers were uncalled for. Those comments say much about the prejudices, intolerance and radical state of Steve's jaundiced mind. The two officers he insults are fine, upstanding members of our community and should be applauded for their efforts in promoting the good and professional image of our wonderful police force. That's from uh, JS. Thanks very much indeed, uh, one and all. Steve, thank you very much indeed. Uh, here's the weather before we go. It's going to be mainly cloudy today with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. Temperatures up to about 32 degrees, occasional showers forecast in the next couple of days. There's a thunderstorm warning at the moment. 27 Celsius. Relative humidity is at 91%. Amid the pandemic, elderly people and those with chronic diseases are at higher risk of severe illness if they contract COVID-19. Vaccination is one of the simplest and most effective ways to protect yourself and your family. Consult a doctor before vaccination if you have a chronic disease that is not yet stable. Protection will be effective 14 days after the second dose. Let's keep observing personal hygiene and wearing masks. Then we will resume normal life soon. Protect yourself and others. Let's get vaccinated. 933, the news now with Samantha Butler. The Hong Kong Chinese Civil Servants Association has welcomed a proposal to freeze the salaries of government staff for another year. This comes after a survey of private sector pay suggested a cut of up to 2%. The association's president, Li Kui Yin, said a pay freeze was the best solution to maintain staff morale. The U.S. Senate has passed a sweeping bill aimed at countering what it says is a surging economic threat from China. It comes as America's share of semiconductor manufacturing globally has eroded from 37 percent in 1990 to about 12 percent, and a chip shortage has exposed vulnerabilities in the U.S. supply chain. And relatives of victims of the Srebrenica massacre have welcomed the decision by a UN tribunal to uphold the genocide conviction of the former Bosnian Serb commander Ratko Mladic. The former general had appealed against his conviction over atrocities committed during the breakup of Yugoslavia in the 1990s. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. <laughs> Yep, and welcome to Wednesday, back again for more. 1010 today, we are off to Gig Harbour again in the USA to check in with the westbound rower and founder of the NGO Around and Over, Erdan Erich. We talked a few weeks ago, but we're going to find out 
his final preparations for an epic solo row from San Francisco to Hong Kong. He departs in a few days, and I think it's going to be cool to be catching up with him as much as possible throughout the voyage. One man, one rowboat, a lot of gear, and a long journey. 10.40 today, composer and conductor Colin Touchin will be with us for our weekly classical music chat. Today, what makes music moving? So, RTL France's Philippe Duvar will be with us at 11.40 to celebrate the birthday of a hit. Musical, not terminal. And after 12, we're going to join Chris Watson.